Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. So we're building a new workplace, we're changing the rules around work, and the decisions we make about it now are going to make an impact on our economy and on our society and our environment for years to come. And part of the reason I say we're changing the rules is that the pandemic forced us to rethink some things. Now, we know that we can work from places other than the office, and many organizations are in the process of deciding whether they like that arrangement or if they want to go back to the old one or create a new one. And pandemic aside, we've been building an awareness of what's going on in terms of environmental change and building an awareness of ESG investing. ESG, of course, being the acronym for Environmental, Social, and Corporate Governance. There are three broad categories or areas of interest for what's termed socially responsible investors. And if you're going to be mindful of that, mindful of those things, you're going to see an impact on the future of work. So there's lots of implications to all of this, and I'm really happy to be joined on this episode by Shankar Raman to discuss them. Now, Shankar is the Senior Director, Global Leader Technology Industry Group at Willis Towers Watson. He's an expert on what the fallout of some of these trends will be on work and workers in the future. I had a really great discussion with him. Please stay with us to hear it. What do concerns about ESG mean for the future of work? To discuss that, I'm joined by Shankar Raman. He is Senior Director, Human Capital and Benefits, Global Leader Technology Industry Group at Willis Towers Watson. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I have so many questions, but you know what? I always like to start with asking my guests about their own careers. I mean, how do you end up doing what you're doing? Oh, that's a really good question. Now, um you know, when I went to grad uh, business school, I got into consulting. I was in, uh, interested in consulting, and I remained in consulting. I was in sense management consulting. I started my career as a strategy consultant. And I moved into human capital consulting since then, and um, I just like it because it's uh, fascinating. It allows me to be intellectually stimulated, work with different clients, work with different companies. Um, allows me to work on complex problems that our clients are facing. So. That's why I got to be here. And, you know, these problems change over the years, right? I'm sure you've seen different cycles of this. ESG is top of mind right now. Yeah. And talk us through the last few years of this, because if we had talked 10 years ago, I don't think it would have been necessarily uh, as important to people. How has awareness changed? Oh, a couple of things. I think there are parts of the question. So awareness of the issues related to, you know, the, the underlying ESG have increased quite a bit. So the, the, the Usage of the, I guess, the initials ESG itself has increased, but people, I'm not sure people fully understand, you know, the issues underlying that uh, the way they should be yet fully. Uh, and what I mean by that is we think of the journey the world has taken the last couple of years, right? So with the pandemic, you know, uh, obviously it had a terrible human toll um, for human beings, for healthcare workers, for almost all nations, no nation has been spared. No industry has been spared. No workforce has been spared. So the human toll has been compounded by, you know, I guess, economic disparity. In some industries have flourished and done really well. Other industries have struggled. And workforce have in those industries have had to 
materially rethink what they're going to be doing uh, for a livelihood in the future. We know people who are saying, you know what, I don't want this lifestyle. I can't afford to be working in the hospitality industry anymore because I can't pay my bills. I'm going to relearn a few things and try and get a new job. And so we are seeing such major stru- structural changes happening. At the same time, our institutional uh, archi- infrastructure has been challenged in many ways, with things like in our healthcare system being challenged, our pharmaceutical systems being challenged, our insurance industry being challenged in ways they haven't uh, faced before. And what this has led to is an open conversation about as we think of the future. And, you know, and we haven't, while the, I think the heights of the pandemic have been addressed in that you know, the levels of mortality are no longer as it used to be, I think everybody is trying to figure out what the new normal or the next normal is going to be and how do I succeed and thrive? What do I plan for? What do I not plan for? One of the biggest challenges that we have faced from an economic perspective is the fact that you know, while you know, the demand for tech workers went up to the roof and then eventually for hourly workers, almost all labor force went up, we do find that uh, the income disparity between people who are doing really well and not doing that well seems to widen quite a bit, right? That, that's one big dimension. And so that has led to an active conversation in, in many circles on how do you make sure that we create, um, you know, I guess more equity in both wealth creation and pay perspectives. And then there's obviously related to that as, as people start working in new ways, there's a question around how do I create a workplace environment in which I can have multiple modes of work uh, flourishing and employees feel that they can bring their best self irrespective of whether they are in the office or whether they are working from in a, in a remote perspective or they come into the office periodically, right? That has obviously led to a tension between employees and employers because employees have a different perspective and need employee leaders, particularly in organizations have you know, come out and said, you know, we want everyone back in the office. Yeah. That's created an interesting tension. Uh, and, and time will tell us where this is going to land. My own bias is that we are going to have an environment in which the nature of work is going to be driven more by employee preference. There's going to be a, a, a rather than just by pure diktat, so to speak, and employees will have a choice of where and how they work. Now, uh, the other thing that's still not been resolved is that, you know, notwithstanding the uh, situation with vaccines and with uh, boosters, et cetera, there is a huge uh, health issue in play, right? So as people think about long COVID, people think about the exposures they might have. You know, people who have had COVID um, are still concerned about their ability to be lead full productive lives as well. And so all of this has elevated the conversation around how do we create a workplace and a workforce where people are safe, their well-being is taken care of, where we create an environment in which different modes of work are being accommodated, where we also have transparency in governance and how decisions get made. Um, I'll hit the E point in a moment and then pause. Um, <laughs> one of the lessons that we have learned over the last two years also is that, you know, and it's clear, all data suggests that the world, the planet Earth, is hurtling towards a climate crisis. We are in a climate crisis, and if nothing is done around, and all science seems to prove that, right? And this is man-made. This is not just, you know, uh, uh, typical ups and downs of, uh, you know, Earth's life cycle, but this is actually where our actions are accelerating the pace at which uh, we are increasing the Earth's temperature. And as we think of the future of work and the future of our planet, 
we need to factor in our uh, strategies, in, in our strategies, we need to factor in the fact that uh, you know, the world's at risk. And any action in regards to uh, how we get work done, where we get work done, the support we provide to employees, you know, there's mental stress being created. There's an article that came out recently uh, from mistake in the New York Times, another place where the stress associated with uh, climate change, mental stress has increased for many people. Livelihoods are at stake. Industries are at stake. Uh, people's well-being is at stake. So all of these things have really elevated the conversation around the topics related to ESG. Not everybody, the common man does not think of it or woman does not think of ESG, but they're thinking of how do I make sure that our planet can survive for the future? How do I make sure I can earn a livelihood without putting my own health at risk, right? And my office is forcing me to come back. And how do I know that I can trust my employers, which is what governance is all about? So let me pause. That's how I think about the issues that we are facing right now. Well, I want to take them one at a time. I will start with the carbon footprint part of this, that you have this sort of mainstream now that companies realize that people are looking at them and whether they believe in it or they don't, this is something they have to be aware of. When you talk to them, when you're looking at plans for them, what are the concrete things that are being discussed about reducing carbon footprints? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I wish there was more conversation going on about how to reduce carbon footprint. There are a few areas that I think companies should be, are beginning to focus on, but there are areas where I think they should be focusing on more, right? So one would be things like real estate usage. That real estate is one of the biggest contributors to carbon footprint and to construction. So thinking about how do we actually have less real estate usage in the office and how do we make sure that we actually use our real estate more efficiently? That's one big direction. The second is also thinking about transportation, right? Um, you know, transportation, again, is the second largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions across all industries. And so figuring out how do we manage our usage of France, particularly air travel contributes extensively. We've had situations where many of our people that I work with have in their uh, hybrid or future working strategy are now factoring in explicitly. How do we make sure that we actually reduce the amount of air travel we do and actually reduce our carbon footprint? Um, other actions companies are taking, particularly of human capital perspective, are in reducing reliance on, I guess, carbon and, and fossil fuel generated power, right? So providing support for um, you know, renewable energy uh, at home, for example, right? Uh, providing support for um, you know, uh, um, using energy efficiency appliances. And these are specific practical benefit-related issues that companies are taking. Um, and then the third thing that they're doing is also really enabling employees to lead a lifestyle that allows them to reduce their carbon footprint. Things like support for, you know, uh, walking to work or you know, using uh, commuter uh, transportation to work. Those are the kinds of practical steps that corporations are taking. Obviously, there's tons more that needs to be done with regards to, you know, managing, you know, uh, the amount of money being spent on real estate, the amount of money on transportation. Also, things like uh, reforestation to make sure that you know uh, uh, the overall amount of greenery on the planet does not go down, uh, and uh, carbon is being uh, managed appropriately. So, those are some actions that we see being taken. But I actually think there's a tons more that private sector needs to be doing to support this. Right now, people are waiting extensively for policy changes, and and, and rightfully so in some ways. Policy changes, the transition to a carbon free economy or carbon neutral economy is uh, not cheap. It's expensive, mm-hmm. right? 
some companies that can make this happen very effectively, you know, the tech companies have come out and said they'll be either, you know, carbon negative or carbon neutral. The more ambitious is carbon negative. The others have said they'll be carbon neutral. So they're doing things like how do we make sure we put our data centers in site uh, that are actually, um, uh, I guess, require less cooling requirements, or they create more energy efficient data centers. They're also providing incentives for employees to behave differently. Um, but I, I just think that um, you know policy changes will have to go hand in hand along with action that um, corporations are taking. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned hybrid work earlier. This goes, as you say, hand in hand, really, with saving energy, the lack of commuting and lack of real estate. And yet companies really are pushing back against this quite hard. Do you think the environment will be one reason they have to perhaps give in a little bit more? Or do you think this is a really widely held belief that we do need to be together, at least hybrid, uh, but or perhaps all together 100% of the time? It's an interesting question. And our research suggests that managers and leaders believe that it's important for, and they themselves, and in fairness, they're trying to balance, most of them are trying to balance the the tension that exists between adapting and accommodating employees' needs to work flexibly and and also support the environment. Um, And I think forward future thinking leaders are actively saying, we need to be mindful of the environment footprint and create a hybrid work strategy that uh, leaves the environment better off. I think the challenge that companies are facing is, you know, how can they create a sense of identity, a sense of belonging, a sense of community, you know, on a sustained basis, if we don't have people come into the office on a periodic basis. So I think most companies are moving towards some kind of a hybrid working environment where they create, they see the office space as one in which they can actually celebrate, they can collaborate, they can have honest conversations. But they also realize that using the office to do stuff you can do at home, for example, checking email, answering calls, you know, coming to the office just to do Zoom makes no sense. And so, um, you know, um, they are trying to make sure they're, 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 our research would suggest that companies are well-intentioned in that space. I think um, they're trying to figure out what the right rhythm is for them to make this work in a way in which the environment is protected, employee well-being is protected, and their business objectives are met. You know, there's an equity part of this too, DEI. I mean, with hybrid work, it seems that work, the workplace is something of a leveler. Everyone's there, same time, same day. You know, so you're judging all together. If you start letting people decide which days they come in, and there's some evidence to suggest that those who feel more marginalized, like older or different races or whatever, women uh, are less comfortable coming in, they'll stay home more to work and not have the same opportunities. You know, that's another challenge for managers. Is that being discussed much? You know, it's a, it's a great point. Yes, it is. It is increasing. You know, one of the points we've been making is also is that the experience from the pandemic shows that people of color, people in caregiving roles, women, et cetera, people at higher health risk, all have been adversely impacted in greater proportion than people um, who are not really normal, healthy people, right? And so thinking about how do we make sure we create an environment in which we can accommodate and actually take a not one-size-fits-all approach is really, really critical. Companies are realizing it. Uh, the more forward-thinking ones are, definitely for sure. And they also realize that in their desire to be well-intentioned, to drive, you know, we want to be fair to everybody approach, they might be unwittingly create, creating more inequity, right? So for example, 
you know, uh, somebody might have a really difficult challenge in coming home because of the healthcare situation that they have at home, right? And so forcing them to come in because you want everyone to feel the same could create unmitting issues. So I think increasingly people are realizing that they need to take more nuanced approaches to how they view DEI. In fact, we like to call it uh, JEDI, Justice, Equality, Diversity, and Equi- uh, Inclusion. Um, and, you know, taking that mindset and approach is really critical. Now, one of the biggest challenges that companies will have to deal with in the space is really dealing with biases, while well-intentioned. You know, we all have a, you know, cognitive biases, inbuilt biases that over a period of time, if you don't manage for a thoughtful way, uh, we could slip into old ways of working. You know, to your point about the research, our research, and other people's research also suggests that people who work in the office, for example, tend to get promoted faster than people who work remotely, right? So how do you deal with those biases? Because I see somebody working in the office, I'm more inclined to go to her or him or stuff than someone I don't see. Um, and so, you know, keeping managers and employees mindful of those you know, biases, training them on a periodic basis, making sure leadership steps in and supports uh, this new normal of ways of working, uh, it's going to be an ongoing marathon, in my view. It's not going to be, you know, hey, we've had this policy in place and we're done. That's not going to happen. <clears throat> Long process. Okay, you have to track talent through all this, right? As you are going forward and figuring all of these arrangements out, particularly younger people. What are the challenges there? I mean, one thing is they don't tend to like hybrid as much. Uh, another is they're looking for companies arguably with some purpose, some concern about the environment. Are you seeing, you know, an awareness of this? Yeah. Yeah. And so the trees, great, great question. Again, um, um, many of the clients that we work with are increasingly aware, actually, that in order to attract younger talent, they are going to have to adopt to um, new ways of working. Now, you brought up a good point about them not liking hybrid. I think the younger talent... Um, does not want to be working from home all five days a week. At the same time, what research suggests is that they also do not want to be coming to work all five days a week. What they're looking for is mentorship. They're looking for guidance from seniors, the ability to reach out leaders and learn. They want to create community. Uh, they also like the idea of physically going into a nice office that allows them to work effectively. It's just an identity that we all create. Right? And so... Uh, companies are rethinking their onboarding approaches. You know, last year, most people were doing their onboarding remotely. And this year, more and more companies are doing their onboarding in person, actually, right? And so I think the office has become somewhat a safe place for most people. And so uh, more onboarding sessions are being done in in, in person. Um, A company's position on climate and ESG topics is going to be really, really important for a younger employee position to join or stay in the company. And companies are realizing that, though I'm not sure that everybody's realizing it. We think that more and more companies will realize it. Uh, That's one thing that we're really passionate about uh, in the way we um, communicate to our clients about what they should be doing. And we as a company also, the way we think about what our younger people aspire for. That's why making sure that uh, companies double down on purpose is so critical when you hire younger people, right? People are not joining just for money. Obviously, paying at a competitive level is important, but that is not adequate to get people in. Doubling down on your purpose and connecting that purpose to beyond just make, something beyond making money is going to be really important for companies. And it's even more important in a distributed world, right? So I'd like to think of this as a distributed talent world, Linda. 
in which companies can have access to the best talent anywhere in the country, right? In order to get to that you know, talent, people will need to you know, communicate their purpose to this talent, why they should come and share their time with this company and um, how they can help actually advance the company's purpose and connecting it to their own individual purpose. Do you have, I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing this, but do you have examples of companies doing this well? Yeah, so look, we work with a bunch of companies, right? So it's it's common companies that you would see and, 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 and given the clients that we work with, many of the tech companies seem to be doing somewhat well in this. Uh, time will tell us if uh, all which are the companies that are doing really well. So I think a little too early right now is what I would say. Um, and then, you know, given the wide range of clients, I find every, I, I find, all our clients at different levels of maturity and figuring out how to move ahead in their maturity model is what I would say. And final question, Shankar, we're talking about redesigning work. How are we going to redesign offices? What do you think they'll look like in five or 10 years? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, in fact, we are working with another client uh, in partnership with, with another company on, on this topic. Um, you know, in some ways, there are aspects of the current offices that will remain, right? So people will come in in order to do some individual work, that, that, and particularly for leaders, right? Leaders like coming to work. They struggle a lot with hybrid work. They also want to be able to be accessible at one point. Uh, so that aspect of the office will remain the same. What will I find will be very different about the office is the proliferation of digital tools in the office will be, frankly, far greater than what we have right now. So... Uh, with the advances that we see in um, augmented reality and virtual reality. I anticipate an environment in which much of that will be far more present in an office. I also think that, uh, therefore, you know, the proliferation of collaborative tools, and I don't know what those tools will be like, but the ability to actually do you know, um, the work that Meta is doing on the Metaverse, for example, right? Some of that is going to seep into the physical office, frankly. And so we're going to have a combination of what I call a meta office, a sort of physical office that's going to be there. And people are going to be working in different dimensions there. That's what I see 10 years from now. I don't think that's going to happen in five years, but 10 years from now, I, I could force an environment uh, where you might be speaking to an avatar of mine, for example, with me sitting at somewhere else also. Well, let's see, let's see what happens. Uh, a lot of changes ahead. Shankar, thank you so much for talking to me today. Pleasure is mine. Thank you for inviting me. Shankar Raman is Senior Director, Global Leader Technology Industry Group at Willis Towers Watson. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about Shankar and his work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you did enjoy this conversation about the future of work and the things that are changing it, please take a moment, leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, and please subscribe to this podcast, because that's how people find podcasts, and that will really help us keep the conversation going. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future, and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production.